Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth-creating journey but not sure where to put your hard-earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. Drew Meredith, we are back for the Australian Investors Podcast. How are you going, mate? Credibly well. Credibly or incredibly? In- incredibly well. Incredibly Sorry, well. But also very credible. Um, so we're talking about Warren Buffett. Uh, Warren Buffet, if you spell it with one T, but it's two Ts. Remember that. Two Fs, two Ts. Um, we're talking about the, the great investor, Warren Buffett. Potentially the greatest investor that ever lived, maybe? Yeah, I think so. The yeah. most patient, maybe. Most patient. Most patient, greatest. Maybe it's like one of those... Um, Comparison websites that would be say most patient, greatest, longest serving <laughs> North American still alive, <laughs> still alive investors uh, award 2022. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're talking about Warren Buffett and we're going to do it in about 20 minutes. Uh, we're not going to cover everything because there are about a thousand books written on Warren Buffett, I believe, uh, as well as uh, about 50 plus years of his letters that you can go and read, which would do more justice than we ever could. Uh, we're going to talk about this. Uh, if you're new to the Australian Investors Podcast, these are our shorter format summer series episodes. We tend to go in a lot more depth with our other episodes. So um, you can subscribe and send us a question on any of the Rask websites in the menu. You'll find a thing that says, ask a question. Select the Australian Investors Podcast. Okay, so I've got five really key points that I want to get across with Mr. Buffett, if that's all right. What a key one, double F, double T. Double F, double T. Yep. Yeah. That's how you spell it as well. Yeah. A lot of people write Warren Buffet. <laughs> yeah, don't they? Yeah, don't they? They'll say Warren Buffet and they'll, they'll spell it with one T and yeah. you'll be like, they, they, they claim to be like they know a lot about Warren Buffet and you're like, what? Then you spell it wrong. <laughs> yeah. So, it's Warren Buffet, uh, <laughs> like, the, like the thing in the hallway. Yeah. <laughs> no, but seriously, two Ts um, is what you need to do. And so, the first thing to know is that there's a fan- some fantastic books written on Warren Buffett. And uh, one of the things that I would say is that one of the ones that I read in 2022, I went back and read, was uh, Buffett, The Making of an American Capitalist, which is a fantastic book because it documents not just who he is today, where there's so much coverage of, but like the journey that led him on this path. Uh, he is the, I think he's the co-chairman. I think it's the right way to say it, the co-chairman of uh, Berkshire Hathaway. With Charlie Munger. With Charlie Munger. So they met many, many, many decades ago. Um, and we covered value investing in an early episode where we talked about the genesis of value investing over time and how it has changed. But like all good uh, millionaires that are self-made, Buffett started like most do in that 
the first thing was not how do I become a better investor, although he was thinking about that. It's very well documented. The first thing he did was figure out how to get money. So yeah. you can't invest unless you have money. So he recognized this, that I had, he had to work really hard from a teenager, used to have paper runs. He started a pinball company where he would put the pinball machines in uh, barbershops and that type of stuff. And he would act like he was part of the mob, so the um, so the pinball, uh, so the the barbershop owners wouldn't question them when they went in to collect their money, because the the barbershop owner would be, okay, yes, you know, Mr. Buffett and all this sort of stuff. He's like, I'll check with the higher ups. Um, and so he made the, a lot of things. That, one of the things that people don't know is Warren was actually a millionaire around his thirtieth birthday. wasn't exactly on it, but he was a millionaire. Now, today, he's worth in excess of $100 billion, if I'm not mistaken. The numbers yep. tend to change each day. But um, incredible when you think about that. So, $100 billion, Remember, a billion is a thousand million. So, think about the compounding that has taken shape over time. There are some key tenets of Warren Buffett's investment checklist, which I'll get to in a minute, Drew. Um, but one of his worst investments all time was actually Berkshire Hathaway. So the company which he now in the runs, early days. yeah, yep. is a textile company, yeah, um, uh, in Omaha. So it, he made in the early days. He actually tried a lot of things which you probably don't realize. He made a lot of investments in things like retail and farming, which turned out to be terrible investments. Yeah, but he he was able to make so much money taking the best bits of what he learned from Ben Graham, which was the old school value investing. Look at the balance sheet and apply that in a. Charlie Munger-esque way where you look at like good businesses over time. And he was compounding some years at like 45%, 40%, 40%, 37, 40%. And as an investment profession, we look at that those numbers and we just think- Incredible. Unbelievable. Um, and th- he structured it as a partnership early on. He basically got people to invest, I think it was 300 grand initially. Um, and I think he was the biggest investor. And- what were some of the things that were really interesting is that he would only let them talk to him one day of the year. <laughs> <laughs> that's his annual day. That's it. He's yeah, kept yeah, that's that it. Because yeah. he's like, I just want to focus on investing. Yeah. And, and he I, just reads annual reports yeah. day in, day out. Yeah. There was one story of someone that wanted to talk to him more and he redeemed them. <laughs> he took <laughs> their money. Take your money back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, take it back. I don't want to talk to you. Um, and, you know, th- and there are stories of that. And he would literally go from his house down to uh, Omaha and he would have his office there. And he would just go back and do exactly the same thing every day for years on end. A can of Coke and a- can of Coke, yeah. He'd grab a burger maybe on his way. And so, like, he was just born to be an investor. And I think anyone that studies Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett side by side would probably say, if they start, if they look close enough, they'd probably say, I'd rather be like Charlie because he has this seemingly more balanced life. Yep. Um, more where, forward-looking. Yeah. Yep. Whereas Buffett was very much focused on numbers at the expense of like a lot of things that were going on in his life. Yeah. Um, and it's just it's just like Buffett may be richer now. Buffett's accumulated massive wealth to give away when he dies. Whereas Charlie gave, is constantly giving away a lot of his wealth. Yeah. And that's one of the key distinctions there too. Um, but I think that one of the key ones is in the, the book um, – that I was referencing making oh. American capitalists. Go I'm on. incredibly impressed by the way he can simp- dumb things down. Oh yeah, like in in the book would be the same. Yeah, uh, like his annual letter. I think he talks about writing it for his sister. Yeah, and you read it, and it make he makes an incredibly complex portfolio of investments and strategy and what he's built so simple. 
Yeah, I can't remember. I think he's got the the same uh, editor. I should know off the top of my head. The same editor that he's had the whole time. I can't remember her name. Yeah. I don't know if it's... Oh, yeah, Carol Loomis. Uh, t- she retired after 60 years of doing it. Um, same editor. Um, and it's just incredible. Yeah. I actually got a snippet that the, the youngest... And I'll put a link in the show notes. The youngest ever photo that I've seen of Warren Buffett... Um, and they spelled his name correctly. In 1951, he wrote an article, The Security I Like Best. And I think I estimated he was about 21 years old. Now, it's a full page write-up on this uh, company called Government Employees Insurance Co., otherwise known as GEICO, yeah. um, which is now fully owned by Berkshire Hathaway. And is the- Essentially floats every one of their other businesses. Yeah. yeah. So, do you want to maybe explain what that means? <laughs> The float and and what that means for the the rest of the business. So Geico is an in, in insurance company yep. that takes in premiums from uh, investors or not like, from investors from like policyholders. Car insurance, yeah, and car insurance, business insurance, whatever it is, and then they hold a statutory fund. Yep. The statutory fund is there to pay out claims when they come, yep. but it must be invested uh, in uh, and has prudential requirements to have a certain amount of capital at all times. So essentially, that float or that massive pool of capital is used to deploy and, and build other investments. Yep. So if Warren knew that he, over the long term, could compound an investment portfolio at say twenty percent, but he estimates there's only five percent that needs to be paid out. Well, maybe not that year, but maybe the next year there's some leftovers which yep. he can then invest again and again and again until it eventually becomes so big. Now, where he's the biggest individual shareholder in Apple. Yeah. Um, and it's the biggest position of anyone in the world, I think, in terms of a shareholding. So, it's these types of things um, are what has enabled him to see what was going on in the market, understand how things work and grow from there. But you mentioned something, Drew, that a lot of people focus on his compounding, like the rate at which he returns, which is just unbelievable. It's like but, 4 million percent. Yeah, it's something <laughs> crazy. But it's actually the time. Yeah. The time is the critical ingredient. Um, and if you think about his principle, like rule number one is don't lose money. Rule number two is don't forget rule number one. Um, if you think about that, if you just don't lose money and you stay invested for 60 years, well, you're going to be doing pretty good by default. Exactly. Because you're going to compound at a very, very impressive rate. Get started early. And just keep st- buying. Yeah. And just, just keep buying. Just keep buying. Don't, if, don't think about much else. Just buy the best thing that you can and just keep investing. And- what was interesting is that investment that he made in Geico, he actually bought and sold it. Yeah. Um, so there's actually a, a, a quote in here that I have. Um, Geico was actually a huge growth stock with uh, an uncertain future. It was riding like this wave. And um, after 71 years, Warren Buffett still owns Geico, even though he wrote about it that, all that time ago. He sold. He first bought about $10,200 worth of Geico shares, but then in an, in, in, in an article that I read, he sold them for a 50% profit one year later. 20 years later, those shares would have been worth $1.3 million, but he kept on learning about Geico and following along with the business, and then he eventually purchased all of Geico's stock for a few billion dollars in 1996. Today, Geico has assets worth well more than $30 billion. I don't know why I put that in there, but it's worth well more than $30 billion. But my point is that it took him basically 20 years to really get on board with this company and keep accumulating assets until- Even though he covered it. Yeah. yeah. Decades later, he finally bought the whole company, which is incredible. He actually bought companies like American Express, Coca-Cola. Uh, I do, had this article, which I'll link to in the show notes on Rust Media. Rust like, patience. 
seven best investments. Patience, absolutely. Like he's got this one here. Um, like obviously Geico, uh, sorry, Berkshire Hathaway, his business itself is worth hundreds of billions of dollars. Um, but he's obviously bought Geico. He bought Apple. Uh, it's worth north of $100 billion. He bought $600 million of Gillette in 1996. It's worth, he sold it for more than $4 billion to Procter & Gamble. Um, he then got shares in Duracell as a result. Uh, he bought C's Candy with uh, Warren, uh, with Charlie Munger in 1972. That would be worth so much more. Um, C's Candy makes over $400 million today. <laughs> so, <laughs> One of the things I loved was, I think it was in the GFC from memory. Goldman Sachs. Yeah. yeah, like he, he stepped into a couple of these companies, offered them preferred debt, so he covered his position, made sure he got paid in guaranteed interest payments, yeah. and then was able to convert that debt to equity as the share price started to rise. Yeah, But he played like, yes, he profited, but he also played an important role in, in keeping the stability of the financial system. Yeah. So everyone will look at the money side, but it was actually, I'm not saying he's benevolent. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing this for the good of the people. Yeah. yeah. No, it, but he's like he he I know he often quoted for being an index investor, invest in the S&P 500. He does the complete opposite all the time. He's private equity, he's yeah. looking for the next deal and he's going to he's going to make big swings. Yeah. Well, he has to now because he's got so much money. But he bought Coca-Cola and this is probably the most fascinating one. Just think about these numbers for a second. He bought 1 billion dollars of Coca-Cola, which is on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol KO. $1 billion of Coca-Cola right after the 1987 market crash. So this was like when things were a shambles, like the world was literally falling apart, starting in Asia. Um, today, the Coca-Cola investment would be worth over $20 billion. But that's not the interesting thing, so 20 to 1. The interesting thing is that he gets over $670 million a year in dividends. <laughs> So, so, if you think about that, he's basically paying his initial investment back every single year just in dividends. Or 67% dividend like buying CSL at $2. Like buying CSL at $2. <laughs> um, yeah, so he made you know a 10x on his American Express deal, uh, which he still owns. He bought Moody's, um, which Moody's, if you don't know, is like a ratings agency. It like rates um, debt and things like that. It says if this is AAA rated or B rated or whatever. If you've seen The Big Short, you know what I'm talking about. Um, and at the end of the day, that that's a fortified business. with It's worth $9.6 billion, his investment in that company. Yeah, I find some super interesting things in there. Like he owns railroads, yep. uh, which people forget about. And, Solar. Yeah. So, and that's, I think Berkshire Energy has, I think he's one of the biggest investors in renewable energy. Yep. I know he has a lot of traditional coal and oil as well, but they're the biggest- yep. Uh, private builders of renewable energy assets in the US at the moment. Absolutely. Um, so there's a massive diverse array of different investments. Yep. Um, so if, you, if you're wondering how Buffett does it, he doesn't make it a secret. Um, he has a five-part checklist, uh, which is covered. I think he first covered it in 1977. I can't remember the exact year, but someone can correct me. And this is how he picks individual companies or businesses to buy. He looks for companies that are within his circle of competence, that have a competitive advantage, so something which is enduring, which makes them stronger than their competitors and able to charge higher prices. He looks for companies that are growing, which is contrary to a lot of what people think about value investing, which we've already covered. He looks for a management team that has integrity and talent, so a management team that is aligned with shareholders and thinks in the right way and is candid and honest. And finally, he looks for something that has a reasonable valuation. The key word is reasonable. 
Um, a lot of people tend to think that that means he's after bargains like Goldman Sachs in the crisis. But if you look at Coca-Cola, that's not a cheap stock. It's not growing that fast. And so he's looking for a reasonable valuation. So that's a circle of competence, a moat or competitive advantage, growth, management, and valuation. But he, he does something, he's kind of invented his own way of valuing companies, which is it, known as um, owner earnings. And there's heaps of information on this online, including by the Vestas Podcast Network. Owner earnings, which is basically the increasing in asset values on the balance sheet and the dividend income, which yep. when you think about it, it's a very conservative way to value companies. But he does it really well, and who are we to doubt him? So <laughs> <laughs> He doesn't always get it right. Like uh, He's also been said never invest in airlines. He did that in 2020, right before the pandemic. Yeah, and he did said, at the worst possible yeah. time. Yep. <laughs> Don't invest in gold. Yeah, he bought uh, gold miners. Bought gold miners. Japan, he went out and bought some of the, which he's done incredibly well on, which was like the broking out all the conglomerates in Japan. Yep. Bought quite a few of them. He's, I think it just shows a, a willingness to consider, understand, and then consider multiple different types of companies. Yep. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, incredibly interesting. Uh, one of the final things maybe that we can leave you with is that there's often like, uh, you know, that say people say like, oh, Buffett's done, you know, he's too old, he's, he's moved on, he's whatever. I don't buy into any of that, but one of the things that I do buy into is that he's got a very, very, very big investment company. And that just simply limits the amount of investments he can make. He can't put $100 billion into a $50 billion company. It just won't work. Yep. So um, he moves the market. Yeah, he moves the market in a big way. So he does need to look for the big bets because that's all he can take nowadays, which does limit his ability to grow. So um, it's just a fascinating company. Every three months, get this, every three months, you can see what's inside Warren Buffett's portfolio because in the United States, they have to disclose what they own. It's on delay, but every three months, I think it's called a 13F, yep. you can go and get the report and see what all of these great investors own. I think uh, on Guru Focus, you can get that too, isn't Guru it? Guru Focus. Yeah. I think there's the other, the Whale website as well. Go and check it out. Um, we'll put some links in the show notes to Warren Buffett's letters, which if you are a serious investor, they're probably the only thing that really matters. Um, the Essays of Warren Buffett is a great book. Uh, Buffett, The Making of American Capitalists is the book that I just read. Um, I'll include a link to that um, that little snippet from the news article that I saw from 1951, uh, as well as we've done a few podcasts and whatever on, on the topic of buffet. So uh, <laughs> go and check those out. Obviously, super, super impressive. I would say the world's greatest investor also because of his educational focus. There are others obviously doing the circuit, but um, Warren Buffett, fantastic investor. Remember, it's two T's, people, two T's. Uh, if you like this episode, let us know on social media. Um, you can also get in touch with Drew Meredith if you're interested in financial planning and how to build a portfolio that will stand the test of time. Uh, Waddlepartners.com.au slash contact. Uh, Drew, as always, mate, thanks for joining me. By the dip. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest... Now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, 
designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.